Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. What's going on, everybody? It is currently Saturday, January the 25th. That sounds right. Yeah, January 25th. <laughs> uh, and this is this week's trip down the homeward path. Now, I tried to record this Thursday. I tried to record this Friday. And in both instances, Thursday, my voice was shot. Friday, I, or, uh, yeah, Friday, I was exhausted. So... We're going to run it back today and hope for the best because, quite frankly, I know I can do better. Uh, so this is Homeward Path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, a father of three. I work a full-time job, 42 or more hours a week, and somehow, someway, we find a way to make competitive magic work. And whether, you know, the ability to compete at the level you're seeking to compete at is what I'm about. Whether it's, you know, cutting edge technology from the, from the trenches on arena, whether it's fundamental backing, fundamental kind of restructuring, reschooling, or sometimes just a different grasp on the game altogether that gives you a little bit of a new lease on life and makes the game fun for you again. Whatever the case, whatever it is you're looking for, I'm going to try to provide it. So... As we slide over into the fast lane for the week, the fast lane is where we talk about the kind of some bullet point topics for the for the week. Uh, first of all, Theros Standard is fantastic. It is the the breath of life of Theros into Standard is a huge kind of rejuvenating factor for the format as a whole. Not to say that Standard was like Eldraine Standard at the end was bad necessarily, but there was the looming specter of what it probably should have been if they hadn't banned like five cards. Oko, Once Upon a Time, Veil of Summer, Field of the Dead. Sure, I'm missing one in there somewhere. Drawing a blank. Anyway, uh, that you know, that's what's going on. That's what we got. That's what we had for quite some time, and then we ended up moving on to something else. So seeing the format now kind of coalesce around three decks that I'm kind of excited about, to be honest, uh, it seems to kind of have morphed and warped and twisted and contorted its way around Simic Ramp utilizing Uro, uh, Titan of Nature's Wrath, uh... And it's really, really, really good at churning out lots and lots of mana, gaining life, just playing a ton of powerful magic cards like Cavalier of Thorns, Hydroid Crisis, Nissa Who Shakes the World, and Mass Manipulation. You're just like just this litany of big, dumb, ridiculous magic cards. And that's great, right? And that's what a lot of people are drawn to. It's just fantastic. Like the the second deck being Rakdos Knights kind of serving as the it's not even necessarily Rakdos Knights it's just Embercleave decks as a whole serving as a natural foil to the ramp decks because it's really hard to cast your big dumb spells if you're dead and that's kind of the mantra of the Embercleave deck 
And then you have your uh, interactive mid-range decks, be they Esper Hero with a new lease on life thanks to better mana from the, the extra temples, Temple of Deceit and Temple of whatever the blue-white one is, Enlightenment, I think. Can't remember. But, you know, Temple of Deceit, Temple of Enlightenment, well, no, it's not Temple of Enlightenment. I'm pretty sure that's the green-white one. Anyway, blue-white and blue-black temples joining... Temple of Silence to help make the mana base smoother. Uh, Atris serving as this interesting, awesome new skill testing creature. And Ashiok Nightmare's Muse being one of the breakout stars of the format. And I myself am a fan. We got the World Championships coming up. Uh, if you have not already done it, there is a challenge thing on uh, MTG Arena. If you get... It, it, you choose your champion. There's 16 players, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, choose your champion, and then depending on where your champion finishes dictates what kind of reward you get. So go on, do yours. As much as it pains me to do so, because there are people I will root for more enthusiastically just because I'm a fan of what they do, like Seth Manfield, Javier Dominguez, Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa, Autumn Burchette. The one I honestly think has the best chance of winning the event is going to be Piotr Glogowski, who has kind of blown me away this year as being a lot better than his online reputation would suggest. Uh, besting several of those other players I just mentioned on his way to his last Mythic Championship final. So that's who I threw my that's who I threw my support behind for worlds in the sense that I'm expecting to get a good win off of him not necessarily really excited by it it's kind of like you know it's the the fantasy magic draft and I drafted Glugowski <laughs> and on the more personal side of things I have been recovering from being sick that is a big part of why these episodes have been so sporadic and so kind of out there and I haven't sounded right. And that's a big part of it. I, I've been dealing with pretty severe allergies because Tennessee's weather seems like it sits on this weird sliding scale that just kind of goes... It's like a, like a carnival slide whistle. You just go... You can't hear that through the mic, I guess. It just kind of goes... And that's you know that determines the temperature for the day. And my body does not like that. And then immediately after the weather finally stabilized a little bit, I caught strep. So... I spent the last week on antibiotics and trying to get my voice back from that. Finally back feeling close to human, close to fighting fit. And I mean, I just ended up exhausted yesterday uh, trying to record a better episode. So sorry for everybody that did not get what they were seeking when they were seeking it. But we will we will be making strides to remedy that. Moving forward, sliding over into the slow lane, let's talk about our main topic for the day, because our main topic for the day is about the problem with the planes. And when I say the planes, I mean the basic planes. The card that started my magic career back in 2004, fall of 2004, remember it like it was yesterday, Brett had been just pestering me up and down, said, hey, Get, get cards for magic and I'll teach you how to play. Get cards for magic and I'll teach you how to play. Okay, I guess. I don't, I don't know what I'm interested in, but okay. 
What do I need to get? Just get one of the little theme decks. That'll get you started. Gives you a deck out of the box and we can teach you how to play with that. Okay, cool. So I picked up the Champions of Kamigawa Way of the Warrior theme deck. For those of you who didn't play back in that era, didn't play back when theme decks were a thing, take the intro packs that we get now, or that we got a couple of years ago. Make them worse, because you don't get any boosters with it, and the face cards are not very good. Uh, like, they're already not very good in the intro packs, but they're even worse in the old theme decks. Uh, yeah, I mean, what is there to say? I ended up getting the worst of the champions theme decks, and then I turned around and got the best of the betrayers theme decks because ninjas. But then I didn't get the, the one that had the highest EV because I didn't get the... I think I ultimately ended up getting the Rat's Nest one later and got Umazawa's Jite, but that's neither here nor there. The introduction to magic for me was white mana. Casting small creatures, casting slightly bigger creatures, using weird forms of removal to get creatures off the board, uh, largely doing my job in combat. And it took two or three games with other colors to move me off of it. Like, don't get me wrong, I love my original Samurai deck. The day may come where I eventually find a copy of the, the theme deck, pick it up and sleeve it and just keep it as kind of an homage to where I came from as a way for my children to learn whatever. But that was, that was my introduction to magic, was white mana. And then it took very little time for me to decide I hated it. Why is that? Why is white the most maligned color in all of magic? And for me, it stems down to one very, very important idea. One core tenet, core philosophy of white mana that makes it so maligned, that makes it so bad, that makes it so god-awful. It doesn't have an identity if you're trying to win. Which is to say, I floated the question out on Twitter. I floated the question out on Facebook. I floated the question out on the Patreon Discord. I said, if I tell you with no other context, I'm building a white deck. What would you assume I'm doing? Well, how would you assume I'm seeking to win the game? And it was... Barf your hand out onto the table, make a bunch of small creatures, and lose to every sweeper you ever run into. It was, gain a bunch of life, and use that to trigger synergies. Or it was, play you know, a little bit of stacks, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then lose anyway because you're not good at anything. Well, all of that is accurate. That has become the competitive identity of white, of the basic plans. And that's a problem. If I tell you I'm building a red deck, everybody knows what it's doing. Even if you're playing more of a mid-range take on Mono Red, Mono Red has a very clear and present and easily identifiable identity for how it wins games. You play the most efficient cards that you can. You, you get through your opponents on the back of 
mana efficiency, the ability to manage most of their cards for less mana than they are spending. And then later in the game, that same ability turns into damage into their head. Whether you're playing the, the mono red frenzy decks we've had over the last couple of years, or you go back to, you know, red, black chain whirler summer, red, black chain whirler was still very much a red deck. Even if it felt like it was a mid range deck, you were still Chandra would trade up on your opponent's cards for mana. You know, you trade your four mana and, uh, not all of her loyalty for your opponent's four or five mana threat. And then Chandra got to sit there on the table and plink away at your opponent's life total. Well, that's, that's what red decks do. If I tell you I'm building a black deck tomorrow, you're going to assume I'm going to be playing some kind of sacrifice synergy, uh, disruption, uh, gaining power through, uh, through the cards in my hand, utilizing synergies and taking calculated risks in order to gain access to more powerful effects. And you would be right, because that's what black does. The mono black devotion deck in standard currently, or back in Theros standard, but especially in current standard, shows that principle off in spades. What's the mono white deck in standard look like? Uh, it's a bunch of small creatures, and you play some life gain synergy so you can make a Johnny's Pride mate bigger because it's the best two drop you have. And you lose to every board wipe you come across. They got to be able to do better than that. Or it's the Divine Visitation uh, Dawn of Hope thing. You want to get Divine Visitation and Dawn of Hope on the table together, and then you lose to any fast aggressive deck because you can't get on the board fast enough to matter. Like, it just creates this weird catch 22 where so much of White's competitive identity is wrapped up in putting cards together that when you get them all together in the same place, they do a big dumb thing. None of the cards are very powerful on their own. So Wizards decides to balance that by making the odd really, really pushed white card. Either by making it pay off a synergy from another color, i.e. Toolcraft Exemplar, uh, which is actually just Wildnacoddle, but with a, it's, it's a color-shifted Wildnacoddle with a different synergy base. But it's still the idea of having a thing in play and this thing becomes a really, really efficient one drop. Well, that's a green creature. It's just color shifted over to white so it wouldn't be too strong. Gideon Alley of Zendikar is just a really, really pushed magic card. And Gideon is a white, is a white planeswalker, so the Gideon card had to be white. You know, Gideon Blackblade on balance is not nearly as good. It's fine. That's a 3-3 three, three indestructible for three. It does some stuff, you know. It, it does some things and some stuff, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it's just, it, it's a fine magic card, and that's, that's the biggest problem. You look at, at Standard over the last two years, and the color white, you get Lyra Dawnbringer, who at one point, Baneslayer Angel was just an absurd magic card. In 2018, 2019, Baneslayer Angel wasn't good enough. You played Lyra in this bad white mid-range deck because she was the best five drop. 
And then you played her in the sideboards of blue-white control for when your opponent boarded out all their, boarded out their removal spells. Or you needed to be able to put something on the table that would force burn spells to go at her instead of your head. You know, maybe you played her in, in green-white tokens decks or whatever, but by and large, Lyra Dawnbringer was just not good enough. She didn't even unseat the creature she was supposed to unseat when she came out. Scarab God was still the best creature in standard. Even though Lyra beat Scarab God heads up in every heads up fight they had, the strategy surrounding the Scarab God was so much better than anything you were doing in blue-white. Or red-white or anything white. Just by and large, like the best cheap aggressive threat that white has gotten over the last two years was a Danto Vanguard because it was painfully difficult to remove unless you were playing cards like Disfigure a Moment of Creating. Like every time you, you ran Flame Sweep, you ran a deck with Flame Sweep, you just got bodied by a Danto Vanguard. But if you were playing a deck with uh, Disfigure and Cry of the Carnarium, you bodied the Adanto Vanguards. You just de demolished that deck. And I know we just went through the summer where Black-White Vampires was one of the best decks in standard, but that was because of Night of the Ebon Legion and Soren, the whatever the new Soren is, I think Vengeful Bloodlord, the M20 Soren, and then um, Champion of Dusk. That wasn't because of... I, I want to say the white creatures were like Legion's Landing... Legion's Lieutenant, Adanto Vanguard, and, you know, maybe you played the, the, the one drop, the Sky Marcher Aspirant. But you were playing them because they were efficient, not because they were white. Like, if you had put those cards in any other color, you definitely would have played those. They didn't do anything resoundingly white. Like, Sky Marcher Aspirant gains flying. Adanto Vanguard is hard to kill. Legion Lieutenant pumps your team. I guess that's kind of a white thing to do. Legion's like Legion's Landing eventually flips and makes tokens. It's not an ability directly unique to white. It kind of calls back to an old white card in Kelder and Outpost, but it's not the same thing. And if you look at the competitive history of the color white, still not good. White aggro is the only deck that over the course of the years has made its presence felt no matter what was going on. If the format ever gets to a point where people aren't playing sweepers or not playing sweepers, that's when your white aggro deck pops up, spikes an event, and then makes everybody register sweepers again, and then it, then it goes away. Whether it's as recently as I believe it was... Maybe PT, maybe uh, Mythic Championship Guilds of Ravnica, I think it was. Or Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. Where it was just the mono-white aggro deck. Sometimes splashing red for like heroic reinforcements. Whether it's as recently as that, because there wasn't a good control deck that was playing a lot of removal. Or you go back to... Uh, it's... The, the white-red vehicles deck, because again, there wasn't a control deck that was playing board sweepers. It was a lot of mid-range. It was a lot of one-for-ones. And that's really kind of white's history in the competitive line, right? 
on its own, it acts as a, a litmus test for the format. How many sweepers are you playing? Is it enough? You know, it serves as the, the question for the format. It's like, it's like telling the format, this is how many board wipes you have to play. Because if the white aggro deck's good, that means you've got to play more board wipes. And if it's not good, you don't have to play any. <laughs> that's, that's the long and short of white's competitive history in Magic the Gathering as a primary color in a deck. You know, you have decks like the, the Astral Slide deck, the, the uh, I believe it was Julian Neuschen used to win Worlds in 2005, 2004, 2005. I can't remember which. I want to say 2004. Let's say 2004. Maybe 2003. But it was, you know, Eternal Dragon, Astral Slide. Oh, but by the way, Oxidize, Eternal Witness, like all the green cards played a vital role in what you were doing. Katsuhiro Mori's uh, Gazi Glare from 2006 was the first, or 2005, was the first world championships I cared about. That deck was mostly green. You were playing, like, the, the white cards you were playing, you were playing because they were, like, reasonable magic cards. Like, Yosei the Morningstar was just a pushed magic card. Glare of Subdual was white in terms of what it did, like, you know, turning one of your untapped creatures into a tap down for your opponent. Giving all these tokens you're making some something to do right away. That card was fine, but it was not just white. It was green-white. It was, it was Selesnia. All the way back through the history of Magic, there's, like, Rebels is the most broken white deck that's ever existed. And what did that deck do? Instead of putting all, instead of barfing its its hand onto the table, it barfed its library onto the table, and that's the best white deck ever. Like in in terms of standard playability, like best white standard deck ever played, Rebels. That's it. That's the only one that would stand the test of time today. And even still, Rebels was so slow to get on the board. A big part of its charm was the fact that it got in under counter spells. Well, nobody's playing counter spells in standard right now. You got Simic Flash, which plays like eight of them. You got Is It Flash, which might play twelve of them, and then everybody else is playing none except a few in the board. They'd rather play removal or stuff that's just better than your stuff. And that's what makes white so depressing. If you don't have the benefit of either a handful of individually really pushed cards like Gideon Alley of Zendikar Toolcraft Exemplar Reflector Mage or, you know, right now Pioneer, you know, Heliod and the white aggro shell around it. Like, the overall approach to, like, playing white decks, playing white cards as a, as a basis for what you're doing is you're going in realizing all of your cards are worse than your opponents. You just have to cast enough of them that maybe they can overwhelm your opponent. That's what you're signing up for when you decide to register basic planes in your deck. And that's really kind of the thing I'm thinking, that's the theory I'd like to bring to heart here is the idea that Mono White doesn't just 
Mono White as a competitive identity isn't that. Isn't bad cards. Mono White is a competitive identity. You play white to fill in gaps. Whether it's gaps in a deck, like blue-white control, where you get Teferi Time Raveler. The only reason Teferi's white is to make sure it didn't get banned. You know, Hero of Precinct 1 fills a needed early threat gap in the Esper Hero deck. And since you're already forced to play white to play Teferi anyway, you may as well go ahead and play Hero. It gives you that, that one card that as the game progresses and your opponent doesn't do stuff, you get to run away and hide with the game. On balance, oh, Callblade, one of the most powerful standard decks, or at least the most power, one of the most popular standard decks in the history of the game. You played Squadron Hawk because it interacted so well with Jace the Mind Sculptor. You would cast your first Squadron Hawk, and it would go get you three more, and then you could cast a. Stoneforge Mystic, or cast a sword outright, you know, ping for one, whatever. It's just a little bird. Nobody cares. And then you go, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Brainstorm, draw three, put two Squadron Hawks back. Or draw three, put two cards you didn't, put one card you liked, one card you didn't like back. Draw it. Untap. Jace, Brainstorm, cast Squadron Hawk. And you would get to shuffle it away. That was the allure to Jace the Mines. That was the allure to Squadron Hawk. It was the ability to shuffle them away and then get them anyway. And that's an interesting card design, and it's one I'd like to see him revisit in white. The idea of creatures that come in, in packs. You get... You get one of them, you get all four of them now. They've done kind of a bad job designing those since then. Like Legion Conquistador was just not a very good magic card. Uh, the the two drop, I can't remember the name of it, that only goes and gets you another one when it deals damage. Like that's not a very good magic card. Squadron Hawk was fine. Squadron Hawk would be great in standard right now. Because it would slot into the blue-white Flyers deck and offer them some much-needed, easy card advantage. Because you could guarantee a stream of threats to keep drowning your opponent in, in wings. And then with Rally of Wings in the format, like ultimately that's the legacy of white in competitive magic outside of white aggro or individually really, really pushed cards. Using it to fill gaps in other decks. Like you have to play white for Empyrean Eagle in the Flyers deck anyway, so you can use some of these other cards to fill in some gaps. Like Healer's Hawk helps you race. Uh, Rally of Wings is just a really, really good payoff for the fact that you're all flying creatures to supplement your Empyrean Eagle. Safara is this card that people are going to play, whether it's good or not. Like... At the end of the day, that's what it's about. That's what they're doing. That's what Wizards does as a design flaw, or as a design philosophy, I would argue. They design cards, they make cards white 
for the purpose of making sure they don't get too powerful. So what can we do to fix that? What is something we can do like as like what is something wizards can do to fix that? Well, it's not as simple as just saying, well, let's uh, undo the last couple of years of design and go back to what we've been doing because it's what we've been doing the whole time. You look at one of the earliest examples of the color white in the history of magic and how bad it is compared to all four of the others and even colorless. You look at one of the first cycles ever printed. The one mana get three of something. Blue got three cards. Red got three damage. Black got three mana for right now. Green gets plus three plus three. White gets gain three life. Now it turns out when you staple two of those together into one card, it actually turns out okay. When you staple Lightning Bolt onto Healing Self, it turns out all right. It's a, it's a pretty good card, pretty good magic card, because it's a big tempo swing, right? Kill a creature, gain three life. It's like every control deck's dream. But when you're doing it either or, you're like, you don't want to play both cards. If you only, if you, you, you know, deck space is tight, you really don't want to play Healing Solve in your deck. You just don't. And that's one of the first examples of how bad white was compared to the other colors. But that's not to say there haven't been some standout designs over the years that we can build off of. Like I was mentioning earlier with uh, Squadron Hawk. That's a really good white card design. It's not too powerful, but it, it works well in isolation. Like it's just, it's a packet of threats and then whatever you're gonna do with a packet of threats, it makes it better. Cause you keep a packet of threats and but, you know, ready to go. But there's also some others uh, because Jared and I were talking about this one, about how, you know, one way to go forward because Jared kind of sees himself as an aspirational game designer. And I'm a thousand percent on board with that the more I talk to him about it. And his idea is that white as the color that represents law and order and unity, the first thing he was talking about was creatures helping other creatures effectively. Not just plus one, plus one, but granting other abilities, granting combat abilities, granting indestructible, enter the battlefield triggers. White should have the lion's share of those. And not just enter the battlefield triggers, but also enter the battlefield triggers that benefit every one of your creatures. Perhaps strapped onto flash bodies. Because what's more, you know, what's more about unity and order and law than somebody coming in and going, whoa, everybody's fine. Come at me. Right? It's the classic hashtag white knight, if you will. Uh, not the actual card white knight, which is like, okay. But the idea that a card can be a protector of the team. But we see those kinds of effects in blue and green. We don't see those in white. We, we don't have a flash in, we don't have a flash creature that gives 
all my all my creatures indestructible for this combat phase or something like that we don't have anything like that we don't have that kind of ability that would be a very white kind of ability on that subject indestructible should be something that is much more a white ability than really all the other ones because it's about will it's about the will to refuse to go down you see it in Gideon and basically nowhere else in white. You know, selfless spirit notwithstanding. That's about it. Another good example over the years is the idea of how white removal should work. If it's going to be efficient, it needs to provide a benefit to your opponent. A lot of people were up in arms over how bad Shatter the Sky was in comparison to Wrath of God or Day of Judgment or, you know, the board wipes at four mana of the past. But Red just got Storm's Fury. Black has Ritual of Soot at four mana. Both of those cards are restrictive in what they do. Shatter the Sky is not. It just kills everything. So it's actually just a good white card design in the, in the sense that you kill everything, but your opponent gains a benefit if the card was too efficient. And nine times out of 10, if we're being realistic, if you're casting this thing on turn four, they're not drawing anything. At, min at maximum, they're drawing one card. So the idea that this card is just, you know, somehow way 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 worse is it's true but that's because the other cards were not designed as well it's not that this card is so bad the other cards were just really good it's another classic case of pushed white cards being playable armageddon comes to mind in that regard like global land destruction is not something that should be in white they just gave him gave them Armageddon because reasons there's not a good reason for that so uh, Path to Exile and Swords to Plowshares are another good example early in the game Path to Exile is actively kind of bad like if you're using it to trade with a 1 or 2 or 3 drop it just feels bad the card doesn't feel powerful until you are trading it for a bigger threat. Which is to say, while it is technically a one-drop, you don't want, like, it can come back to bite you immediately. Like, Path to Exile in the current standard would be a rough way to be, a rough way to live your life, if you Path to Exile their three-drop creature and then they untap and Nissa you. You know, you Path to Exile their Lovestruck Beast and they untap and Nissa. Or you're playing against Gruul and you pat the exile their uh, their bone crusher giant. You take two, they go get a land, they untap and Skargan Hellkite or Ember Cleave you. You're just dead. That's rough. But after about turn five, it stops mattering and the card becomes more effective. Unbalanced Swords to Plowshares is actually better earlier in the game. And as the game goes on, it gets it gets weaker because the benefit to your opponent is higher. It becomes harder to actually close the game out. Wasn't an issue when it came out, when it was in, in standard and then extended and then legacy. But it was a card that just, it was kind of a baiting. 
it's really, really good early in the game because if you're just trading one mana and a couple of points of life to your opponent for their early aggression, that gives you time to set up your removal. That gives you time to find your win condition. That gives you, like, we're fine with that. But when you're having two, you know, swords to plowshare or something like a merit lage token and give your opponent 20 life, that's kind of rough. Or if you're, you know, plowing a Blightsteel Colossus, yeah, you're not dead, but now your opponent's not either. So it can definitely be beneficial. But it can also be a detriment. But where, you know, where there's a lot of weird combo-oriented areas where it's a detriment, there's also plenty of weird combo-oriented areas where it's a, a boon. For example, interacting with the card Death Shadow. Because you not only kill the one you pointed at, you kill any other copies they have on the table and strand any other copies your opponent has in their hand. That's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big, big deal. But outside of those two cards, we don't really see this style of white removal done very often. The unconditional but comes with a drawback of varying proportions depending on what point in the game you're in. Oust is the, the most recent one I can remember, and it was non-permanent removal. You tucked it second from the top into your opponent's library, and they gained three life. So it was a tempo booster. You used Oust if you were confident you could either control the game from that point on, or were going to be able to set up a dominating board state from that point on. Both of those things would greatly benefit the white decks in standard right now. Like, Boros Feather would love to have access to something like Oust. Just tuck that Cavalier Thorns back in there. Let me do some stuff real quick to set things up so we don't have to worry about that later. It's a way to get it off the table without triggering its, uh, its dies ability as well. And I would like to see more removal like that. Uh, Condemn would was another good design. It doesn't exile, it doesn't destroy, it just tucks it onto the bottom of the library. Yeah, it has to be attacking, that's fine. But it's another good, efficient card design. Just get it out of here, put it on the bottom. If you're getting a token, it's just gone. It's great. I could see doing something like a Condemn that draws your opponent a card. Put that one on the bottom, draw a card. Or put that one on the bottom. If you want to make it less conditional but more devastating, you know, potentially, the more efficient it, the more efficient it becomes, the better the, the benefit to the opponent. You can say, you know, tuck it on the bottom, your opponent draws a card, if that creature had power four or greater, they draw two cards. Like I could see that kind of a design being not being pretty playable because it keeps you from getting violenced to death now, and it provides your opponent a big benefit. If you want to make it to you know where it doesn't matter if it's attacking, that way you have outs to weird stuff like Mayhem Devil or Nightmare Shepherd that are going to drown you in value. Or you don't want to run the risk of it attacking with your opponent's mana on top. 
but that's part and parcel of the white mage experience, right? Having your cards just be actively worse than your opponents. So make white removal maybe a little bit more efficient with more drawbacks, and even the the less the less drawbacky ones, the more the less efficient ones, be more versatile. Something like Mortify doesn't have to be strictly a white-black card. You don't need that swamp, that, that, that black mana symbol in there. That could be Destroy Target, Tapped Creature, or Enchantment. Um, Convoke could become an evergreen white mechanic. The idea that your creatures work together to help you cast this powerful spell, that doesn't have to be inherently Selesnia. That's actually just a really effective white mechanic. The idea that your creatures working in harmony allow you to cast this spell more efficiently than you should be allowed to. That's a very white thing. Venerated Loxodon is one of the whitest cards I've ever played. And we won't see anything like that for a while because it's technically a Selesnia card. No Conclave Tribunal falls under that same category. Give me a pump spell with Convoke. Give me something like a Pride of Conquerors or a you know, Rally of Wings, not necessarily for flying creatures. Give me like a, a three drop plus two plus two with Convoke. At instant speed. The only drawback is that sometimes it costs three. But you can use the, the fact that you've cast a creature this turn to help turn it on. Give me more payoffs for using my creatures. In the, like They can do a lot with the white design philosophy to make it better. As for us as players, we can do a lot with the white design philosophy as it is to build our decks better. First of all, mono white doesn't necessarily cut. I play it on Arena because I have to do the... Uh, every once in a while I'll get two or three of the quests at once that want me to cast something else and white spells. And it's just a more efficient use of my time to play mono white for those. But, for example, when Heroic Reinforcements was in Standard, and another really good example is the Feather deck, like, we don't have to play just white. And even in current Standard, Boros Knights is defensible. It's not great. It's not as good as Rakdos because you don't get Rotting Registrar, but in exchange you get uh, Acclaim Contender, you get Worthy Knight, you get... Sky Knight Vanguard, you get the ability to better pressure the board with multiple bodies off of less cards. And you still get Embercleave. And Acclaim Contender can still find Embercleave. Like, you know, the Feather Deck gains a lot of a lot of ground. Jeskai Hero is not great, but it's the thing you can do. It's a little more aggressively slanted. That's not inherently bad. Being aggressive doesn't have to mean being bad. 
So there's, there's a multitude of ways we can better utilize the white cards we have at our disposal. There's some of them that are pretty good card designs. Rally of Wings comes to mind. Just build a Flyers deck and play the best Flyers you can, but Rally of Wings is still a heck of a magic card. You know, the Esper Hero decks do a really good job of minimizing the impact that the white cards have on their, on their overall plan. Like, they're still really good. But you, in turn, don't have to worry so much about getting outpaced by the fact that your opponent's cards are so good. Like, so much better than yours. D-Spark is an efficient removal spell. Mortify is a versatile removal spell. Thought Erasure is a good discard spell that still works well with your hero precinct one. So on and so forth. So at the end of the day, that's what I'm talking about with the problem with the planes. The best white decks in standard formats are the ones that play as few basic planes as possible. Instead, opting to treat white as what it really should be at the more competitive level. Instead of being your main color, white is the color you splash in order to gain access to certain cards and effects. Keeping an, keeping an eye on that helps dictate what we're allowed to do in the future. Helps, helps us out with what we want to do later. And that's going to wrap it up. Again, I, I don't like to do episodes like this that seem so overly negative, but this kind of felt like one that needed to be done, especially in light of Theros being released and still looking like the kind of deck or the kind of set that white, I mean, meh, not, uh, not super thrilled about that. There's just not a competitive identity to white. And quite frankly, that has become the competitive identity of white. So that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope you enjoyed watching if you consume this on YouTube. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you can send them to me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. You can join the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. It's open invite. Just send a request. If you like what I'm doing and want to help me keep doing it, you can head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. This show and every piece of content I make is always going to be free. But if you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, Patreon, become a patron. You gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord at $1 or more. Your deck moves to the front of the queue for writing in cards with cards at $3 or more. And at $5 or more, we are working toward a collaborative episode where each patron of $5 or more is going to be allowed to help me write an episode, like choose a topic, what we're going to cover, that kind of stuff, and get shouted out for their collaboration. So, you know, you get a, a direct hand in how the direction of the show. And with that, let's go into hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. It's my favorite segment at the end of every episode. I love it. I love to laugh. I love a good pun. And magic is my like second life. We only have two this week. First from Jessica Estefan. Uh, either MPL or Rivals League member. I honestly can't remember which. But this entire thread is just fantastic. So it's trying to borrow requesting beast off a friend. Requesting beast. And then as we go down through here. Other people got involved. 
Ben Sachs says, goldfish in questing beast, sequestering beast. Logan the Technomancer says, dealing combat damage to your opponent when they can't block questing beast, questing beats. Pope Jupiter says, pacifism on your questing beast, quieting beast. Tyler says, asking for questing beast and some goat tokens for Woe Strider, of course, requesting bleats. <laughs> and if they say no, from Chris Lloyd, rejecting beast. Charles says, when replying to the email seeking them, RE, requesting beast. Oh my gosh. Trying to, uh, Nate Green says, trying to capture your magical creatures that escaped from your suitcase in New York. Arresting beasts. Oh, uh, where is it? And that's all, that's all we got for that thread. And then the other one just popped up this morning from my good friend, Brian Canada says, okay, hear me out. I want a stitcher supplier in play and then have the, the new Athreos to put a counter on it. That's it. I'll have completed my goal. Toss a coin to your stitcher. You're lucky I like you. <laughs> that's both topical and a dad joke, and I'm here for it. Um, but that's all I got for this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back on hopefully Monday, probably Tuesday with Riding in Cars with Cards. We're going to be covering... There's a good chance we'll be covering uh, one of the best decks in Standard because we're going to be demonstrating how to properly use white. Uh, but we'll, t we'll, get, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. As for what I'm playing right now uh, on Magic Arena, on Unranked, I just play whatever I can to finish my quest. I've got like a bunch of different weird little monocolored stuffs to do for that. And then for ladder grinding, I am alternating back and forth between Timur Adventure and Blue-Black Board Control. It is the Blue-Black Terramander deck that I've been playing forever, but I finally just got tired of it and cut all the creatures. We're playing Removal Spells, Disruption, and Planeswalkers now. So that's what we got now. And that's all I've got for you this week. Thank you again. We'll catch you Monday for Riding in Cars, and we'll be back here next weekend for Homeward Path. Y'all take it easy.